At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Arrowhead Coffee Company, Canadian veteran-owned Arrowhead Coffee. Coffee that inspires and supports veterans, first responders, and their families. To order your very own delicious Arrowhead Coffee, visit arrowhead.coffee. That's not arrowhead.com or .ca, it's arrowhead.coffee. And save 10% with discount code OTR10, that's Oscar Tango Romeo one zero and get your arrowhead coffee today and we're rolling live with genevieve boudreau genevieve thank you so much for being on the show today of course my pleasure all right well uh so interested to learn about reconsolidation therapy i know on the ticker i got it wrong there as consolidation but it's reconsolidation therapy but first i want to ask you about uh your relationship with arrowhead coffee i just saw that on instagram here yesterday it's like what this is a small world man those are my friends (laughs) yeah i see the t-shirt i've got the same t-shirt than you actually yeah best coffee ever uh, I, 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 um, I came across Arrowhead like since a long time, first of all, because of coffee and also because I really am into like the veteran community, try to encourage like veterans organization or business. And, uh, and then we've met with, uh, with Len, uh, the, the owner of Arrowhead Coffee and he's, he's doing all these, you know, um, coffee with comrade things where a veteran comes and talk about a struggle and issue. They're personal, very vulnerable things. They're very, like, um, very good stuff that people can share together. Veterans are feeling sometimes that they, they are the only ones struggling with these issues can share their story, basically. So, yeah, I've been invited to, uh, to, to do a, a little talk on November 15 about you know, mental health and reconciliation therapy. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very good organism and they're doing amazing things for veterans. And what would you say are the pros and cons or the do's and don'ts when it comes to peer support? Because uh, it's, it's a topic near and dear to my heart and yeah. I understand the power of it, but I also understand how dangerous it can be to do it wrong. So what, what are some of the uh, do's and don'ts of peer support from your perspective? Peer support is amazing, especially um, with military people, veteran people, first responder. You, you. So I'm, I'm a civilian working with uh, first responder and military, um, and and I know that um, your specific group, group of people have a very unique experience. Um, you know, warrior has this very unique perception of life, people, politics, everything, and sometimes feel more comfortable to talk with people that actually share the same same story, the same value. So there's a lot of uh, benefits from that, like someone that really understands where you come from, has been through what you've been through. I would say um, um, dangerous, um, maybe if sometimes when you do have like a real 
mental health issue like a, a PTS or an unfortunate stress injury, talking to a colleague is great. Talk, sorry, to a peer is great, but that doesn't take away that you probably need to talk to a psychologist as well. So it's, it, it's great, but I would say, you know, even the best friend ever that's been through the same thing don't have the skills to really help you in mental health issue like that. And what is the number one thing that as a supporter, like if you are the one who's going out for coffee with a friend who's struggling, what's mm-hmm. the what's the number one thing that somebody has to remember when they're listening to somebody who's struggling? Validation. Empathy. Just like putting everything aside and just be with this person. And sometimes... When people are telling us something that's incredibly hard, especially if it's a peer, maybe maybe uh, this person has been through the same thing and faced the same difficulty. It might be triggering even. But when and it's hard to say like it's, you can sugarcoat this kind of thing. Like it's it sucks. It sucked and it sucks, right? So just be there and being happy that this person. Like I don't know what to tell you right now, but I'm just so glad you told me. And sometimes it's the best thing you can do for a person that shares their, their incredibly difficult uh, emotion related to a traumatic event. So what is it about the veteran first responder community that uh, attracted you to the us, this crazy bunch? <laughs> well, I would love to be a psychologist in uniform. I, I tried, like I, I've talked to like people in R2MR and stuff, but there's no psychologist in uniform in the Army. So the specialists of mental health are psychiatrists and social worker. So I would have loved that. And I would be in uniform myself if I could. But the best I can do is to work as a civilian psychologist to, to help military I, um, veterans and first responders. I think you guys are, I think it's very heroic to, to be able to, to just like be ready to do the ultimate sacrifice to help people. And, and then expose yourself to traumatic things like um, like military of course all the time and police officer every day in their in their surrounding in their environment in their neighborhood and to be to be ready to expose yourself to things that can really affect your brain really affect the way you see the world to take that risk for other people i think it really deserved it really deserved like some you know some help and i and i and i'm very happy that i can work with you guys and this i think this is this heroism the self-sacrifice that you guys are ready to do that very appeal me what would you say one of the challenges in our community is that people wait till it's too late they wait until they not only have they been injured but they've been injured for probably 20 years before they go wait a second uh this is a problem and i should probably i don't got this i need help i do not have this on my own so for preventative measures to build resilience do you have uh some suggestions or any programs for resilience so that uh, people can get ahead of it before it's a big problem before they, they could get exposed to traumatic event? Um, um, it's a really hard question. There's a lot of like um, stuff that goes around in the field of resiliency. Um, first of all, not everybody that witnessed a traumatic event would have a PTSD or, or get sick from that. Like for, for the 
population, civilian population is 10%. So we say 100% of people be exposed to a traumatic event. Only 10% will develop PTSD. For military, it's higher, but it's not that higher. It's 14%. So, of course, there's self-stigma. Maybe people with PTSD, they don't say. They're not very uh, willing to share that with, like, with researcher or stats or whatever, but it's not that higher. Um, so 14%. And usually when a person develops a, a PTSD, it's because they have peritraumatic uh, factors. So maybe, you know, they face difficulty in their life. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe their parents are passed away. Maybe they're facing difficulty in their relationship with their kids. They're always this component so it's hard to say what can you do to be uh, resilient ahead of time. It's a bit, it's a bit hard because these kind of events can happen without you really, uh, you, you, you know, it happens without you knowing about that or it's just happening, you know. I understand. Yeah. So, so it's a bit of a hard question, I find. There, there's so many different modalities of healing. Where did uh, reconsolidation mm-hmm. therapy come from? What's the history on that? So this is an amazing uh, new uh, approach. So I've been doing CBT for for years before working with military. It's still the golden standard to treat a military personnel with um, PTSD. And then this approach came out uh, four years ago by a researcher called Alain Brunet. And he's a researcher from McGill University in Montreal. And it's a French researcher. So this approach is known in French-speaking places and country, uh, France, Belgium, and Liban. They're, 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 this appro- approach is known. The way this, and, and that's why it's not really out there in the English word world because I'm the first person that translated the, the protocol in English. So it wasn't all in French before. Now. English people have access to it. It's a bit like reverse. Usually we have the opposite problem, like everything comes in French afterwards, where this one is the opposite. So um, it's really amazing because it, it's seeing PTSD as a memory disorder. Okay. So basically, so that's that's how we conceptual, conceptualize the PTSD, a memory disorder. So what happened when someone is witnessing or being victim of a traumatic event? They, the, the, the process of the memory is not doing the same thing for trauma than for normal things in life. I'm going to ask you by example, Mark, where were you September 11? Oh, uh, 2001? Mm-hmm. No, exactly where I was. I was coming back from my honeymoon and I was at a bed and breakfast in Jasper, Alberta. I was just coming, up, coming out of the shower and it was like, I think you should see what's on the TV. Yeah. We remember vividly. And see, this is not something that happened close to us. It happens far away through, t- through a TV. But we do remember vividly. And if I will ask your parent, where were you when JFK was shot on TV? They probably remember that too. Well, I remember where I was when Wayne Gretzky was traded. And I heard that on the radio. I had to pull over. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So trauma and memory have a, a, a special connection. So when we witness a traumatic event or a victim of traumatic event, we're, we're trying to avoid 
this memory. So that's what people do when they have PTSD. So by not, to, you're trying super hard not to think about it. So that mess up the process of what we call consolidating the memory. Because you remember what you did September 11. But if I'm asking you, what did you eat last Tuesday for breakfast? We don't remember. Or if I ask you, what did you do for your birthday when you were 42 years old? Like, we don't remember. We need a cue to remember. Oh, yeah, we did this. Oh, oh yeah, we went to this restaurant. I remember because I saw a picture. We need a retrieving cue, we call. But with trauma, it's very vivid. So when, and when it's something that happened to you, you avoid the memory so much that it's not doing its job of consolidating, going back in the epi episodic memory. So what we did like 10 years ago, five years ago on our wedding day, it's back in our long-term memory, the episodic memory, and we need a retrieving cue to remember what happened. But for a traumatic memory, it's super vivid. It's like looping in your brain like this. It never consolidated, never do this job. The avoidance blocks the process. That is fascinating. I know people um, that have forgotten entire tours, and that gets problematic because we have a big, big problem in our community called stolen valor, where people uh, either exaggerate their service or they have no service and they pretend that they do. Oh. <laughs> and so this happens all the time. And mm -hmm. when somebody who legitimately uh, had a tour can't remember a damn thing about it, um, uh, people get a little bit uh, curious, like, hey, wait a second, I'm a bit suspicious now. But I have met people that I know were on a tour, and they couldn't tell you a thing about it because they legitimately can't remember the entire tour. Yeah, it blocked the memory because it's too painful. And we we have the brain is fascinating. You can there's people that were victim of rape in their childhood, and the memory is blocked. They don't they don't recall at all. So it's fascinating the process. Um, so what we do in reconciliation therapy is conceptualizing PTSD with a memory disorder. We use a, a drug that's called propranolol, which is a it's a it's a medication for hypertension. It's a beta blocker. Uh, it's really non-invasive. Like they can give that to children for a, a certain like disease of the mouth. So it's it's not a psychotrop. It's really a beta blocker. So which, what it does in, in your body, it relaxes your vessel. So by example, surgeon, th that's very often that surgeon takes that before a surgery so they don't shake when they cut like a little piece of you. Or a musician, when they play the, the guitar and like they're, they're, they're shaking, they take propranolol so they relax and that suppresses the stress reaction, the, the bodily reaction to stress, and that suppresses the emotion to a certain extent. So what we do in reconciliation therapy, we do the, the CBT um, the CBT thing, which is writing the script of the traumatic memory. This is really good. But with CBT, it could take a year, two years. We call it that prolonged exposure to therapy. It's long. So with reconciliation therapy, we do the same thing, the writing the script of the traumatic memory, but we do that under the action of propranolol, which shut down the emotion and suppress the bodily reaction. So for people, it's easier to remember the traumatic memory because they don't feel that bad. And so the propranolol has two impacts. It suppresses your emotion, but also change a protein in the, the brain, which can make a second consolidation of the memory possible. 
So it, it's hitting these two targets. And the process is that we're, it's like we're putting back the, mem- the, the, the traumatic memory back in the long-term memory. It's, it stops being a traumatic, like a traumatic memory. It becomes just a bad memory. It takes six sessions of 20 min- 25 minutes to do that. Just per, six sessions. Per memory. Yeah. Per memory. Yeah. Well, that beats the hell out of the ART I was doing. Uh, <laughs> one of the ones we were working on is when I hit a tripwire and didn't explode. So we relived that moment. I probably spent a total of 15 or 20 hours in the For moment sure. of where I'm, ex- I'm waiting to die. And, uh, like, I mean, that's, that's a long time to be feeling that feeling, you know, it, it, it messed me up. It was not, I think the therapy did more harm than good. Uh, actually I know the therapy did more harm than good in that particular instance, but, uh, uh, the way you do it though, if I was to do that exact same thing, um, uh, when I'm feeling it, I wouldn't be feeling the terror and the fear and, and all the related, um, uh, emotions. I would just be observing it. Is that right? Yeah. And so it's six dose. You know, it's a cumulative effect. So the first time you feel it a bit more, and at the end, you almost don't feel it at all. So it's really um, a fascinating technique, which, like, so the person is taking one pill an hour before the session. So they don't, you don't take propranolol continuously. You're just taking one hour before the session. The peak of the propranolol is at 90 minutes. And then that's where we do the reconsolidation. At when it's less painful. I saw, like, I've been, by doing CBT, like, I saw a client, like, you know, big, so, so heartbreaking, like, big military men, like, on the floor crying, like, you know, shaking so much. And as a, as a psychologist, you know you're, make, you're putting them a bit in this situation, and you feel a bit like, you know, for me anyway, it felt very hard to witness. So with this approach, at least I know there's a reason why we are making them remembering this traumatic memory. It's like in a structure approach of six sessions, so the memory goes back. In, in the long-term memory. And I'm telling you, I we, so we score the people on a PTSD scale baseline, then after six, after every session and at the end. And, you know, on the scale I'm using, which is very standard, it's the um, e, IESR. In, uh, sorry, I don't remember the acronym. It's a inventory of... Um, and it's the impact of traumatic event scale. Yeah. And it need 32 to to be uh, having like a very severe PTSD. Most of the clients I start with, they have like 60, 70, 80, like something crazy like that. And after six sessions, their score is like three. Wow. Four. You cannot say they have PTSD anymore. Well, that's spectacular. I know that the efficacy rate um, with the internal documents, because I know people that know people at the OSI clinic um, uh, around my territory, is like 12%. So uh, after three years, 12% of those people uh, have had enough progress that they'd be considered they don't have PTSD anymore. It's very, very low efficacy. Um, Is there numbers on reconsolidation therapy? 70. 70. Yeah, that's inc- that's incredibly, incredibly. That's, yeah, it, it's crazy. And also, I would tell you what's really for me amazing. The problem with 
like most treatment with veterans or anyone with PTSD, is the dropout. People drop out because, as you know, it's so painful. It like, sucks. It's so like bad. That. So you just like go <laughs> AWOL and, you know, never go back there. Yeah. In reconciliation therapy, I'm going to talk about my own experience. I've been doing that for two years for, like, uh, I'm close to 100 people that I did that with. And this is amazing. I have 100% retention, 100. Never happened to me that someone start this approach and then finish, never. Well, so, Genevieve, so that, that's a spectacular stat because I, yeah. I fully, completely understand even starting the process is absolutely brutal. Picking up that phone call mm-hmm. for the first time is not easy. It's a thousand pound telephone, and actually, most people don't. They don't have. They don't find the strength and courage to pick up the phone in the first place to start the process. But mm-hmm. once you're in the process, it can be so unbelievably invasive, um, and it beats the hell out of you. The day before therapy, the day of therapy, and up to two or three days after therapy, you can be completely fried. At least I was, and so many people I know, it was the same story. They were fried. So they actually have to go on, uh, it's called ELB, Earnings Loss Benefit, with, through Veterans Affairs, because you can't work and do the work of therapy at the same time. You can't function. It's just that invasive. Yeah. So, but, but with what you're doing, you can probably maintain your job, <laughs> just, just take one day off a week, and, and that's it, and you can do it. And the purpose of this is to go back there, you know, go back in the fight. So, you know, with sometimes when people have PTSD, you know, they cannot be re-exposed to traumatic circumstances. I work with police officers, and the goal is that they're going back there because they want to go back. You know, they, they, they want to be a police officer again. They want to go back as military. So the, the, the goal is that they're operational after six weeks or even during. And how common is reconsolidation therapy in Canada? Um, and, and where is it the most popular? Where, like, what's, where can people find it? And how easy is it to find it? Well, the, 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 the most easy would be in Quebec, because that's where it's from. And it's very recently been, the protocol has been recently uh, translated in English by me. So I know that Alain Brunet is doing a training uh, in Ottawa. Uh, so it's, it's going to spread a bit, but it's really brand new. It's starting. That's why not a lot of people know about it. It's because it's brand new. Uh, it's been approved by the Canadian Psychological Association. It's an evidence-based approach. Colleges approve that treatment as well. Um, you know, um, we can do right now, which what's great is that because of COVID, we, we do Zoom stuff. That means like people from, uh, you know, from other places can contact a therapist from another uh province or even another like city and you can do that treatment via zoom it's as effective okay that's even better because you stay home and for a person talk about this and take the propound law you'd rather be be home in your environment it's easier for sure then they can just get the prescription from their pharmacist and they're good from the doctor so what we do is that we give them uh, a little like uh um, document for their doctor because propranolol is a you know it's a non-invasive thing it's not a psychotropic as I said it's a beta blocker usually doctor has zero problem prescribing that to people I never I had once a problem because uh, the the patient was already t- taking hypertension medicine 
So we, we kind of like adjust and we did, we did like the treatment first thing in the morning so he could take his other medication afterward. But the, the doctor is the one that prescribed the propranolol, knowing like the health condition of the patient. And, and he gives like the, the six dose to the patient. So it's really the doctor that does that. It's pretty easy. It never happened to me that a doctor said no. Where where are you now with um, Veterans Affairs Canada and the OSI clinics? Are are you making any traction with them? That's a very good question. Actually, um, Alain Brunet, uh, the founder of Reconciliation Therapy. So so just just a little like uh, parenthesis here. This propranolol and memory has been studied studied for decades. Okay, this is not new. What is new is the protocol. To use with people. That's what's new. And so Alain is uh, right now doing a study, a longitudinal study with um, um, people in the army f- to do this approach on military personnel. So we know it's evidence-based with civilian. So we didn't do like, we didn't do a sample on military. It's it's on press. It's happening right now. So in a couple of years, we'll have these data, which are going to be probably the same than civilian population so because of that it's not a treatment that they would do at osi um on the military hospital uh, it's really people if you are a military or veterans you have blue cross insurance so, so we you can ask for any kind of therapy but if you're employed by let's say the defense like probably they would do what's the golden standard for now which is cbt uh, but could change in a couple of years when the study will be out. That could be the new golden standard. Like that's really what I'm I'm hoping because it's so wonderful. Uh, in in terms of VAC, um, maybe there's like a selling pitch to do to VAC. I, I I you know this is one of my objectives. Maybe talking to some people from VAC because I do think on an insurance company perspective, six session is pretty cheap. <laughs> by comparison yeah considering four four years of once a week yeah which is not unusual i know i know so next next steps so it's uh there's a lot to do to promote uh, reconciliation therapy still it's so new now for traumatic memories there's different aspects of that there are mm-hmm. people like yeah that happened but i'm fine with it it's no big deal so um but in reality if they're a- able to actually look at it uh their relation to that re- um they're not okay with it so does reconsolidation therapy help that too it's like oh no well, yeah that happened but i'm fine and then they're able to look at it and it's like oh i'm not fine <laughs> i'm not okay with that because uh, i've just been repressing it is that part of it yeah, you know, uh, some people, they come, let's say they, they would come to see me, let's say a military or a police officer because they're depressed, let's say they're depressed or something, and they don't think this memory is affecting them. Um, but talking about it, like, we, you could see, like, we know what kind of question to ask, like, do you have nightmare? Do you have flashback? Like, what is it that you see? What's a nightmare that keeps, like, bugging you at night? And usually that's the one. That's a traumatic memory. And that's what we're treating. So, yeah. So if, uh, who can be qualified for reconsolidation therapy? Can it be somebody with a master's in social work or do they have to be a a psychologist? Uh, Psychiatrists, psychologists, some um, 
social worker that has a master degree, they just need to be trained in the approach. They have to, they need to have the certification that uh, Dr. Brunet is uh, giving. So he's, he's doing training. You can find the training if you go on the, like on Google, like reconciliation therapy, method Brunet, that's well, Brunet method, let's say, Brunet method. And then you can see like, Alain, Dr. Brunet is always doing training. So there's always a training going on or in the next uh, month. So they can register there to have the training. And I know that because of COVID, he's doing that via Zoom now. So it's even like easier to attend. Well, that's spectacular. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had quite a few therapists on the show, um, whether it be social work or uh, regardless. You know, they're all, they're all rowing in the same direction. So I'm going to make sure that this gets out to all of them to get them get to get themselves uh, certified yeah. in it. Yeah. In the meantime, you can just like maybe contact uh, me <laughs> or anybody that do reconciliation therapy because we can work through Zoom via Zoom, which is you know easy. So, but it's it's an amazing like I'm I I really try to pace myself when I take, talk about that because it's so amazing to see the results so quick for a psychologist it's amazing sometimes it takes a long time you know to see a result especially with cbt as you said could take years and now after six sessions you can see like you you see this on a scale so it's not even like a subjective impression that psychometrics that says that client well it was a severe ptsd before and then you cannot say he has ptsd anymore for for me to witness that, like I have, I have like you know shivers when I talk about that because it's so amazing to witness, really. Well, PTSD can be so bloody debilitating um, to an extreme. Well, all the way to death, you know, people commit suicide oh. because the symptoms are just too bloody ugly. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm living with it. My family's living with it, so I understand. And it's mm-hmm. not a good time. So thank you so much, uh, Genevieve, for, for the work that you do and how you, and the compassion with which you, you do it. Uh, it's my pleasure, really. Really my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.